the scriptures are full of accounts and acknowledgments of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Today we find ourselves in three separate books of the New Testament and stories and reflections upon the work of the Holy Spirit. First from the Gospel of John, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one else can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit Nicodemus said to him how can these things be Jesus answered him are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things and then our second lesson is from the Acts of the Apostles the second chapter Verses 1 through 13, the account of the first day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and all tongue, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each heard them speaking in the native language of each and amazed and astonished they asked are not all these who are speaking Galileans and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language Parthians and Medes Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia Pontus and Asia Phrygia and Pamphylia Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes Cretans and Arabs in our own language we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others sneered and said they are filled with new wine and then lastly from the book of Romans Paul's letter to the Romans the fifth chapter verses 1 through 5 therefore since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will, through your Holy Spirit, allow these words to come to point to the word just read 
and to the Word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. A story is told of a Pentecostal man who wandered into a Presbyterian church one Sunday morning and took his place in the pews. When it came time for the sermon, he found himself responding in a Pentecostal sort of way to the points the preacher was making. Hallelujah, he cried. Praise the Lord, he'd say. Amen, he would yell to each of the points with which he agreed. Not the typical Presbyterian response. Well, this got enough people in the sanctuary nervous that about halfway through the sermon, the head usher took it upon himself to make his way down the aisle, leaned over to the man and said, Sir, sir, you have to be quiet. The preacher's in the middle of his sermon. Keep quiet. How can I keep quiet? Said the man, I've got the Holy Spirit. To which the head usher replied, Yeah, you got the Holy Spirit, do you? Well, you didn't get it in here. <laughs> so the truth is, Presbyterians had never been accused of being very demonstrative in our practice of worship. No, toe-tapping and mild out-of-sync clapping is about as far as we are likely to take things. So as a result, we might get a little suspicious when we come across a day in story, like the one we find at Pentecost, the promised Holy Spirit descending with wind blowing, fire licking, and people speaking in tongues and in different languages. That's enough to send Presbyterians right out the back door. We like things decently and in order. We like agendas and minutes. We like Robert's rules of order. We like parliamentary procedure. We like saving for a rainy day. And what we don't like is getting carried away. When people start getting carried away, we get nervous. When people start raising their hands and speaking in tongues and yelling hallelujah, we start looking for the closest exit. But you know, there are all sorts of ways of getting carried away. And the problem with Pentecost is that we've allowed the story of Pentecost to convince us that for you and I to really participate in the Holy Spirit, we have to start dancing, raising our hands, and shouting praise the Lord. Not that that would hurt us to do that from time to time. But that isn't, I think, what the New Testament is trying to tell us about the Holy Spirit. When we first hear of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it's early on in the Gospels when two things happen. First, we're told that the Holy Spirit descended at Jesus' baptism like a dove, like a bird. And secondly, Jesus tells Nicodemus early in John's Gospel that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And you don't know where the wind comes from, and you don't know where the wind is going. That's the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. She gives birth to a new life in us, and we can never know where she is going to take us. The Holy Spirit is this bird on the wind, if you please. And if you've ever watched a bird on the wind, you never know where she's going. The ancient Celtic Christians back centuries ago claimed as their symbol of the Holy Spirit the wild goose. Think of a flock of Canadian geese flapping overhead and there's the lead goose and the rest of them are following in a V formation. The Celts said that the Holy Spirit is like that lead goose except that she's wild. You don't know where she's going and when she will change direction. So those born of the Spirit are to embark upon this wild goose chase. Interestingly enough, that phrase wild goose chase comes from Shakespeare's 
Romeo and Juliet, and it was a reference to a 16th century horse contest where the lead horse was considered the wild goose, and the rest of the horses had to follow behind the lead horse, this wild goose, who would abruptly change course, jump obstacles, and maneuver unpredictably across the course. A wild goose chase is to follow the unpredictable path of the leader. So to be born again of the Spirit is to be filled with this wild goose on the wind and allow her to carry us away on this wild goose chase. That makes sense, doesn't it, when you read about that first Pentecost moment when the Holy Spirit descends and the wind fills the room and tongues of fire surround each person and before they know it, they get blown right out of the room, a room where they had gone to hide, a room where they had gone to protect themselves from the Sanhedrin. The Holy Spirit fills them and this wild goose throws open the doors and out of the room they go into the streets and before they know it, they are speaking new languages. Before they know it, these Galilean fishermen Fishermen and tax collectors are, are now making their way by new languages into the souls of people very foreign to them, Parthians and Medes and Cappadocians and Pamphylians. The wild goose has led them into the hearts of these strangers. The Spirit has given them a heart language for every single soul who was there. And, and that's when we begin to realize that the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of love. The wild goose chase is this chase of love, that to be born of the Spirit is to be carried away with love, and love cannot help herself but to attach us to the friend, to the neighbor, to the stranger, to the foreigner. God's love, Paul says, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. The greatest of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the gift of love. Love, dare we say, is this wild goose. When you decide to love Love someone, when you decide to love a certain people, it is a work of the Holy Spirit, and you have no idea where that love is going to take you. How often I think of this when I perform a wedding. Months before the service, I have sat with a couple for several sessions, and we talk about this gift of love and how it, they have attached themselves to each other, and that they now have no idea where their love is going to take them. That love is this wild goose. And when the wind blows, it blows where it wills. And people change, and you discover over time in a marriage that you need new languages through which to communicate your love to each other. And that when the couple say to each other, in plenty and in want and joy and in sorrow and sickness and in health, they're saying that we're going to be chasing this wild goose, and we don't know where she'll take us, but we are in this thing together because we are attached to each other. That's why Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, has been such a success and such a help to so many because Mr. Chapman has helped them to see that every person in every situation demands a different love language, that we all give and receive love through different languages like physical touch or quality time or acts of service, and love is the art of finding the right language through which the Holy Spirit can do her thing. It makes me think of a friendship that I shared for decades with a colleague in ministry. But there came a time when through some miscommunication and unrealized expectations, we managed to inflict a pretty deep wound in our friendship. 
and we both slunk away to nurse our sides of the wound, and conversation stopped, and infection set in. But the Holy Spirit is this wild goose, and she flew us into the wound where we didn't wish to go, where we didn't want to be, and before we knew it, we were face to, face to each other over lunch as we struggled to find the right words. What could we say to speak the truth in love? What expressions could we muster by which to ask and receive forgiveness? What language could we borrow to begin to heal? And there we are, and the wild goose won't let the two of us go. And through fits and starts, we finally find the tongues we need to speak the language of heaven to each other. And we agree to begin again and put the past behind us. For love is a wild goose on the wind, and she will take you sometimes where you don't want to go. Anne Lamott wrote once, the Holy Spirit rarely respects our comfort zones. It makes me think of a dear friend of mine who got carried away. He had joined a mission trip to Honduras a long time ago, and it didn't take many days of his being there that the wild goose attached him to these people, and he kept going back. He couldn't help himself but keep going back. Didn't know much Spanish, but he kept going back to find the tongue he needed to love these people. And that's when the vision came to start a school for the poorest of the poor, the ones who couldn't even afford to go to public school. So he and a bunch of others got, along with a great Honduran teacher, started this school. And it's not been easy, and it's been lots of fits and starts and disagreements and successes. But now there is this complete elementary school with a couple of hundred children learning science and computers and Spanish and English and the Bible and how to love your neighbor. You never know where the wild goose will lead you. What new language you will learn. A couple of years ago, I was working with a church across the state on some issues they were having and sat down to dinner with one of their elders and I asked him to share his story with me about how he got to be at the church and how he became an elder. And he talked about how he had been born again years ago when he was a young adult and the wild goose carried him on the winds of a church that shouted hallelujahs and amens and abundance, a church that promoted some fairly locked down rules on how a person was supposed to behave. And yet he became a very passionate disciple and about the rules and about his faith and about grace and about the doctrine of the church. And then his son one day sat him down and told him that he was gay and that it was something he knew about himself for a long time and that he had been deathly afraid to tell his father because he knew that it would probably mean he would lose his father because gay didn't fit into his rules. So what's a father to do, the elder asks me. And he answers his own question. He said, you know, I had to go back and I studied my Bible and I learned about this language of love that Paul keeps talking about and that maybe the wild goose was carrying him into the life and soul of his son somewhere he had not yet been. And he learned about his boy and searched out the words to say what he thought and what he felt. 
eventually words through which he accepted his boy and celebrated his boy just as he was. The wild goose led him to a new church, this new church where he knew his son would be accepted. That's my story, said the father elder to me. The Holy Spirit rarely respects our comfort zones. Our recent D-Day commemoration brought to mind the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whose teaching and ministry paralleled the rise of the Third Reich. Bonhoeffer took part in the Christian resistance to Hitler, but in the late 1930s, he accepted the invitation to come and study in New York City. To come to New York was a great chance to further his education, but it also meant that he could spare himself the brunt of the persecution that the Christian church was receiving in Germany. So to New York he came, but it wasn't more than just a few days of his being in the States before the wild goose abruptly changed course and she told him that his place was in Germany to continue the resistance. So he got carried away and chased the wild goose back across the ocean. And five years before the Allied stormed the beaches of Normandy, a young German churchman stormed his own way back to love his brothers and sisters, and where four years later he was arrested, imprisoned, and executed. When God's love gets poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Paul says, then the wild goose will probably take us places we don't want to go. Dallas Willard said, to be spiritually transformed, I have to want to not want what I now want. To be spiritually transformed, I have to want to not want what I now want. Love will take me places I may not wish to go, places where I will undoubtedly suffer the wounds of love. But that's okay, Paul says, because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us. And what more could we hope for than in what came at Pentecost? How is it they said, how is it that we hear each of us in our own language, the Parthians, the Medes, the Cappadocians, the Pamphylians, the Mexicans, the Hondurans, the Syrians, the Republicans, the Democrats, the food pantry visitors, the gays and the lesbians, the people of all sorts of colors, and our next door neighbor and Nicodemus and our fallen out friend. How is it that we hear each other in our own heart language? It's what Pentecost will do. It is where the wild goose will inevitably take us.